Well, if you'll please take your Bible and turn with me. We are in the Gospel of Matthew this morning, chapter 20, and uh, verses 17 through 28. We are nearing the end now of our message series on Jesus, the Master Teacher. We've got this week and next week. And uh, today we come to a teaching from Jesus on power, authority, and service. We mentioned earlier in this series how each of Jesus' teachings in this section, Matthew 18 through 20, each of these teachings are examples of what we may call occasional teachings. In other words, these are teachings that were prompted by various occasions, by different people coming up and either saying something to Jesus or asking Jesus a question, and then Jesus taught in response to that. Well, the occasion that prompted our particular teaching today was uh, two disciples, James and, James and John, and their mother approaching Jesus with a special request for him. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 28 in the course of the message, uh, but for right now, to get us started, I'm just going to read verses 20 and 21. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Matthew 20, verses 20 and 21. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we look at this request, as we look at the verses surrounding it, as we look at your teaching this morning, uh, as always, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our hearts to what you would be speaking individually to each one of us. Lord, each of us is at different places and in our lives. We're experiencing different things in our lives. But God, your word speaks to each one of us. Lord, help us to hear your voice to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. You may have noticed that the title of our, this morning's message is Power Play. Power play. Uh, there are power plays that take place in sports like hockey or football, but uh, we're going to be thinking in the more general use of the term this morning. Uh, the dictionary defines a power play in terms of tactics or strategy intended to increase a person's power or influence. I'll say that again. What is a power play? It's, it's tactics or strategy that's intended or designed to increase your power, your influence. And that's exactly uh, what we find in our passage today. And, and that's exactly what Jesus is responding to in his teaching today. So we are going to look at Jesus' teaching on power, authority, and service. And along the way, we're going to be answering some questions such as these. Uh, how does the world use power? How does the world use power? How did Jesus use power? And then we'll be zeroing in, how do you use power? How do you use power? Do you use it to benefit yourself or to serve others? Uh, there's an outline in your uh, uh, worship guide this morning, if you'd like to take that out and follow along in the different points that we'll be looking at or jot down any notes. But ironically, our passage this morning doesn't begin with the disciples and their power play, but it begins with actually the opposite of something like that. It begins with Jesus predicting his death. 
This is the third and final time in Matthew's gospel that Jesus predicts his death and his resurrection and talks with his disciples about that. Look at verses 17 through 19 with me now as we begin. Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Now, the first thing I want you to note from this passage is that Jesus is drawing ever closer to Jerusalem. We've been tracking Jesus and the disciples. We've been following Jesus' path to Jerusalem ever since Matthew chapter 16, right? When Jesus first uh, predicted his death uh, to his disciples. Now they're almost there. In fact, the whole next section of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapters 21 through 25, the next section we'll be looking at, deals specifically with what? With Jesus in Jerusalem. Now this is the third time Third time that Jesus has told his disciples that he will suffer and die when they get to the city of Jerusalem. But this time he gives them more details. He gives them more details than he ever has before. This is the first time he mentions the crucifixion. He's told them he will die before. Now he tells them how he will die. First time he mentions the role of the Gentiles. First time he mentions the whole legal process that he's going to go through. And it's almost as if Jesus is giving us a detailed preview of all of the major events that are going to happen over Holy Week, over the next week in his life. And it's all right there if you look at this prediction, his entry into Jerusalem, the betrayal by Judas, his trial before the Sanhedrin, their guilty verdict condemning him to death, the Sanhedrin sending him to Pilate, the mocking, the flogging by the Roman soldiers, his death on the cross, and then finally his resurrection. I find it interesting to note that whenever Jesus spoke about the cross or his coming death with the disciples, he always also told them about his resurrection, both of them all the time. He was constantly preparing his disciples for what was going to take place when they actually got to Jerusalem so that they wouldn't get caught off guard, so that they wouldn't give in to despair. And they still had trouble uh, understanding all of that, didn't they? So the passage begins with Jesus talking about his upcoming death in Jerusalem, that is in marked contrast now to what happens next with James and John. Because right after Jesus tells the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, James and John come to Jesus asking for power. They come to him asking for the highest seats in Jesus' kingdom. Look at verses 20 and 21 with me now. This is what we read at the beginning of the message. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and daughters, uh, with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So James and John, they come to Jesus. They're the sons of Zebedee. But notice what they do. Kind of sneaky. They get their mother to do the asking, right? They bring mom along. We're not given her name here, but when you follow the clues throughout Scripture, uh, the mother of James and John, uh, the wife of Zebedee, uh, is most likely who we know as Salome, uh, S-A-L-O-M-E. It looks like Salome, Salome. Salome is the sister of Mary, the sister of Jesus' mother, Mary. And so that would make her, as she's coming forward, 
That makes her Jesus' aunt. James and John are Jesus' cousins. They you know, all grew up knowing each other. But either way, whether this is Salome or not, most likely it is, what do they do? They get their mother to come along, and she does the asking. And notice what she does first. She asks if Jesus will do a favor for her. Has anyone ever done that to you? They come up and say, hey, can you do me a favor? Without telling you what it is, right? Will you do me a favor? And they're hoping you'll say yes. And hey, then it's open season, isn't it, right? Well, that's what the mother does here. Can you do a favor for me? What's going on here? Basically, James and John are trying to manipulate Jesus. It's all part of their master plan, right? Bring mom along. Get mom to do the asking. Have mom ask for a favor. Try to get Jesus to say yes first before even telling them what the favor is. You see, power plays are all about manipulation and control. They're all about trying to maneuver people in situations for your own benefit. And seeing Scripture is written for our benefit, we have to ask ourselves the question, do you ever do that? Do you ever try to manipulate or control other people? Do you ever try to manipulate God? Do you ever try to negotiate with God or bargain with Him? Well, that's what James and John are doing here. They're trying to manipulate Jesus. But you know what? They don't get very far. You never are going to get very far trying to manipulate God. Jesus said, uh, he's not going to give them a yes or no up front, right? He says, well, what do you want? You know, let's hear the favor first. And so she finally comes out with it. She asks if her two sons can sit at Jesus' right and left hand in his kingdom. The right hand, that is the position of honor. The left hand is the position of authority. And so basically they're asking for the two highest seats in the kingdom. Now let's put this into context of all that we've been learning from Matthew 18 through 20. Remember this whole section of Jesus' teaching began way back in Matthew 18. Do you remember how it began? It began with the disciples coming to Jesus asking him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And ever since then, Jesus has been teaching them. He's been teaching them this stuff. First, he taught them. He said, you need to humble yourself like a child. Don't be asking who's the greatest. Don't be trying to be the greatest. Humble yourself like a child. He's taught them that the first will be last and the last will be first. He's just now just taught them that he's going to Jerusalem himself to suffer and die. You got to wonder, are the disciples listening to anything Jesus is saying? How in the world, after all of that teaching, could they come to Jesus and ask this question? Now, on the positive side, they do uh, uh, demonstrate some faith here, right? They do believe that Jesus will be king. That's good. They believe what Jesus told them back in Matthew 19, that they will sit on thrones with him. That's good. They believe what Jesus has told them about his kingdom. What are they doing? They're trying to stake their claims early in the kingdom of God. Their motives are all wrong, however, because they are seeking power for themselves. And motives are so important whenever you are asking God for something in prayer. We read this in James chapter 4, verse 3. James says, when you ask, you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And their motives are all wrong here because they are seeking power for themselves. And Jesus has been teaching them for three chapters now that is not what the kingdom of God 
is all about. So Jesus needs to correct them here, doesn't he? And he does this by teaching them that suffering precedes glory. Suffering precedes glory. Look at verse 22 now. Jesus responds to their request. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Well, the cup represents Jesus' suffering and dying on the cross for sin. Okay, that's what he's saying. He's saying, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Jesus is going to suffer and he's going to die on the cross for sins. Can you do that? James and John ask for crowns and Jesus offers them a cross instead. Suffering precedes glory. It was true for Jesus. We read in 1 Peter 1.11 about the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Suffering comes first. It was true for Jesus. It's true for us. Paul uh, writes about suffering and glory in the book of Philippians chapter 3 where he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And he stops and thinks, well, how do I get there? And he says, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Suffering precedes glory. If you want to become like Jesus in his resurrection, you must first become like him in his death. Jesus asked him, he says, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? James and John answer, yes, we can. Proud, brave, and ignorant words. Jesus is right. They really don't know what they're asking, do they? Because you see, none of us can drink the cup that Jesus drank at the cross. Only Jesus can die on the cross for sins. The disciples asked for glory, not knowing that suffering precedes glory. In fact, the greater the glory and the greater the suffering that comes first. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking because if they knew, they would never have asked. And then Jesus responds to the request next by deferring to the Father. Deferring to the Father. Look at verse 23 with me. Jesus said to them, this is interesting, he says, you will indeed Drink from my cup. We'll look at that in a second. You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. So Jesus looks at these foolish, proud, power-hungry disciples. He tells them, you will indeed drink from my cup. Now here's the difference. You cannot drink the cup that Jesus drank, right? You can't do that. You can't drink Jesus' cup, but you can drink from his cup. Okay? You cannot suffer and die for sins. But as a follower of Christ, you do share in Christ's sufferings. And so Jesus tells him, yeah, you will indeed drink from my cup. Because Jesus knows what's going to happen. James will be martyred for Christ. In fact, he's the first of the disciples to die for Christ. John will be exiled. Both will share in Christ's sufferings by suffering for him. But when it comes to who's going to sit at Jesus' right and his left in the kingdom of God, Jesus does what? He defers to the Father. 
Jesus says, hey, that request, that is not for me to grant. Those places belong for whomever my Father has decided. Now we need to be careful here, okay? We need to be careful. Jesus deferring to the Father, that does not mean that Jesus is somehow less than the Father or somehow less than God. The Bible tells us that Jesus is God's Son and He is equal with God in every way. God is one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The three persons of the Godhead are one God sharing one divine essence. They are equal in glory, honor, and power. And so Jesus deferring to the Father does not mean that he is less than the Father here. Rather, Jesus here demonstrates perfect harmony between the Father and the Son in all that they do. We see something similar when Jesus says this in John 5, 19. He says, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does... The Son also does. What do we see? Once again, there's a perfect unity. There's a perfect harmony between what God the Father does and what Jesus the Son does. James and John, they want Jesus to give them the highest seats in the heaven. What does Jesus do? He defers to the Father. And in doing so, he sets an example to the disciples of deferring power rather than claiming power, of submitting to authority rather than usurping authority. Jesus defers to the Father, and then he goes on to teach about serving others. And this is the third section of our passage now. He goes on to teach about serving others, and this comes into play now when the other disciples hear what happened. I don't know how they heard, but somehow they heard through the grapevine what happened with James and John. Look at verse 24 with me now. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. So the ten, that's the other ten disciples. They hear what James and John did. They are not happy. Now that doesn't mean that they're right while James and John are wrong. They're all wrong, all twelve of them, okay? In fact, they're probably thinking, man, I wish I thought of that first, right? You know, we would, we would have got up there first. But you see, that's the problem with power plays. Instead of bringing people together, power plays breed discord, disunity, and discontent. And that's true whether the power play takes place in a business, in a company, or in a family, Bible study group, or even in the church. We read this in James chapter 4, first two verses. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet. You make the power play, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Power plays breed discord, disunity, discontent. When the other disciples hear about all of this, they are indignant with James and John. Jesus knows that they all need a talking to at this point. So, okay, he gathers all 12 of them together. Jesus, the master teacher, is going to give this another shot with them. And he's going to tell them now, whoever wants to be great, must be a servant. That's what the disciples have been asking for three chapters. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now James and John have made a power play on that. The other are upset, others are upset because they want those positions. Jesus calls them all together. He says, okay, I'm going to give it to you straight. You want to be great? You've got to be a servant. Look at verses 25 through 27. 
Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And so Jesus says, hey, you must not act the way the rulers of the world act. So the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over their people. And their high officials, they exercise authority over them. In the original language, that phrase that's translated high officials is simply the great ones. It says, and the great ones exercise authority over you. Now, how I'd like to translate it? The big shots, right? The big shots try to exercise authority over you. Are you a big shot? Let me give you some questions to help you answer that question. Question one, do you need to be the one in control? Question two, do you need to be the center of attention? Question three, do you need to get your own way? Question four, do you need to win? If you answer yes to any or, or all those questions, guess what? You're a big shot. You're a big shot, and Jesus is talking directly to you this morning. The rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. The big shots exercise authority over them. Not so with you, Jesus tells the disciples. In the original language, this is a strong command here. It's in the future tense. It's almost as though Jesus is saying to them, you are not going to do that again. You've been doing this since Matthew chapter 18. Over and over and over again. He says, not so with you. You're not going to do this again. You see, in the world, the poor serve the rich and the weak serve the strong. Jesus says, not so with you. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great, you've got to be a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave. It's exactly what Jesus has been teaching them all along here, right? That the first will be last and the last will be first. Remember Psalm 75, we read earlier in the service, verses 6 and 7. No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt a man, but it is God who judges. God brings one down, he exalts another. See, as Christians, we are not to make power plays. We are not to grab power for ourselves. It is God who exalts. It is God who brings down. James chapter 4, verse 10 says this, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do you want to be great? Then humble yourself. Humble yourself and wait for God. I like what J.C. Ryle says about these verses. True greatness consists not in receiving, but in giving. Not in selfish absorption of good things, but in imparting good to others. Not in being served, but in serving. Not in sitting still and being served, but in going about and serving others. And our role model, our example in all of this, it's not the rulers of the world, okay? No, our role model is Jesus himself. Jesus who humbled himself as a servant. Jesus who came to be served, uh, who came not to be served, but to serve. Look at verse 28 with me now, where Jesus says this. Just as the Son of Man, speaking of himself now, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom 
for many. Now, people, this is one of the great verses uh, in the Bible. This is a good one to memorize and, and keep with you. Good one to print it out and put it somewhere where you'll see it. The Son of Man, even the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There are echoes in this verse of the suffering servant found in the Old Testament, the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah 53, verses 11 and 12 says, After the suffering of his soul, speaking of this servant, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The servant in the book of Isaiah did what? He suffered. He died. He bore the sins of many. He gave his life as a ransom for many. And then you get to the New Testament. And the New Testament makes it clear that this suffering servant that we read about in Isaiah 53, this suffering servant is none other than Jesus himself. And then the New Testament tells us that we should model ourselves after Jesus in this respect. We read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. So how should a believer use their power? Not to be served, but to serve. You should use whatever power is in your hands to serve others. You should use your power for the good of others rather than to benefit yourself. I like the way Warren Wearsby puts it. Jesus came as a servant, therefore we should serve one another. Jesus came to give his life, therefore we should give our lives in service to him and to others. Jesus set the example for us at the beginning of our passage today when he told the disciples he was going to Jerusalem. Why? To suffer and die. But you know, he also said that he would rise again on the third day. And indeed, Jesus' resurrection was the ultimate power play. This time in a good sense, okay? The ultimate power play where Jesus demonstrated his power over Satan, sin, and death. But understand this. Before Jesus could enjoy the power of the resurrection, he first had to endure the suffering of the cross. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As we close out our message this morning, I want to ask you three questions. They're all on your outline in the worship guide. And uh, three questions that I hope you'll take some time, perhaps this week, to reflect on. Maybe do some journaling and write down your answers to them. But the first question is this. Are you involved in any power plays right now? Okay, is this going on in your life? Are you involved in any power plays right now? Whether at home or at school or at work or in any of your relationships with other people? Are you, according to the definition, employing any tactics or strategy designed to increase your power or influence? If so, remember that power plays only breed discord, 
disunity and discontent. And you will never have peace in your life until you let go of those power plays. That's the first question. Second question, what power has God entrusted to you? What power has God entrusted to you? We can think of power in terms of three things, authority, resources, and influence. So what authority has God given you in your life? Are you a mother or a father, a husband, a boss, team captain, whatever? What authority has God given you? That's some of the power that God has entrusted to you. What resources has God given you? What time or money, abilities, intelligence, strength has God given to you? And then what influence has God given you? Among family or friends or in the church or among co-workers or perhaps among younger people as a mentor or role model? What power has God entrusted you? We need to remember power is not bad in itself, right? Power is not bad in itself, only the abuse of power is. When our boys were younger, I mean real young, uh, one, of, one of them in particular was really big for his age. I mean, just, he, he just like grew up two years faster than anybody else I've ever seen. and Just towered over all the other kids in his class and on the soccer field. And, and Rosie and I always told him, we'd pull him aside and say, you know what, God made you big. God made you strong. And you need to use that strength to help others, not to hurt others. How do we abuse power? Anytime we seek it for ourselves, whenever we do not recognize God as the source, it is God who exalts a person. Whenever we use it to benefit ourselves rather than others. So are you involved in any power plays right now? That's question number one. Number two, What power has God entrusted to you? Take some time this week. Reflect on these questions. And then the third one is the the big one. I really want you to spend some time thinking about this week is how can you use that power? God's entrusted power to your life. Authority, resources, influence. How can you use that power now to serve other people instead of yourself? How can you use that power to serve others instead of self? Hey, folks, we live in the world, right? Power plays are all around us. The greater the power, the greater the temptation to use that power for selfish ends. But Jesus shows shows us a different way, doesn't he? Jesus shows us a better way. What is Jesus' way? The greater the power, the greater the opportunity to serve others. The greater the opportunity. So my prayer for you this morning is three things. Number one, that you will recognize that true greatness comes from being a servant. True greatness comes from serving other people. Number two, that you will repent of any power plays in your life. And number three, that you will commit to using whatever power God has given you to serve others. For God's glory. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this passage. It is a challenging passage because we all like power and none of us like to be servants. Yet Jesus, you set the example for us. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and you gave your life as a ransom for many. Lord, forgive us for the power plays that we engage in in our lives. 
Lord, help us to seek to be servants of the people around us, lifting them up instead of scrabbling for power for ourselves. Lord, help us to seek you first in all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.